This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now, it's time to get to work. So, Ian, the uh, training camp battles have commenced. We've seen a few days uh, since the last time you and I spoke. And uh, by all accounts, it sounds like Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke are lighting up training camp. Uh, and it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see who comes out on top. But it's been kind of an interesting, fun battle to watch I suppose as that is sort of the main focus of most of Broncos country is what's going to happen with the quarterback situation and as it stands based on the daily count it seems like it's neck and neck it doesn't seem like either quarterback has really separated himself Drew Locke had a better Saturday and then it looked like Teddy Bridgewater had a better Monday so I I think that's what you want to see you want to see them if they have a bad day you want to see them regroup and and come back and have a strong day which is a good sign I think that is what the coaches want to see so hopefully that continues as we get closer to the first preseason game but at at this point it's a positive development that both quarterbacks are are neck and neck are taking advantage of their opportunity and I, I think aside from Teddy Bridgewater's multiple interceptions on Saturday neither of them is really turning the ball over, which is probably paramount in which quarterback ultimately gets the starting nod. So let's hope that that trend continues, especially as they face the number one defense, which is causing problems, let's say, for both quarterback. And I I think that's expected with how good everyone thinks and expects this defense to be in 2021. Yeah, you, you bring up a really good point that both of these guys are going up against what I would call uh, potentially a top-five defense in the NFL. And, and by some accounts, you, you, you hear some people say this could be one of those special defenses. But, but to kind of go back to the quarterback battle, just to, just to, I guess, revisit one thing that I think is really interesting here, and it has nothing to do with the play on the field. Uh, because, like you said, reports have been that they've, they've looked sharp in, in instances. They've traded off... Uh, days as far as who's been the winner each day. I think that's kind of interesting. One of the fascinating things to come out of this, though, that I'm I'm sort of, this is the thing I'm most mesmerized by. It's the scoring system. It's the way that Denver media, and you have to kind of go based off of the guys who are at camp. So you're, you know, your Benjamin Albright's and your your Andrew Masons and Ryan Edwards, and you got Zach By, and you got you know the the, the plethora. D-Mac, yeah, you can. Chris, Troy Rank. You know Cecil Lammy, anybody who's there, right? Everybody who's who's at the facility, they're they're scoring this, and they all have very different scoring systems as far as how they announce who they thought won. And it was funny; I think Mace was the one who tweeted it out with like three or four different ways that you could look at 
where these quarterbacks are ranking. And I, and I do think it's uh, sort of fun to kind of see how they come up with different ways to tell us, those, those people who can't actually be at training camp, who's winning and who's not winning. Now, that being said, because I don't care if, if you know, Teddy Bridgewater is plus one and Drew Locke is minus one or they're both even at the turn or, uh, you know, their stock is up or down, whatever. I, I have actually said, and I'm, I'm going to hold to this, I don't believe there are winners and losers here on a daily basis. And I feel like I'm taking the same approach as the players would on that. I don't think Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater look at it as, well, I won today and and he won yesterday or he won, you know, he, he's going to win tomorrow or whatever. I don't think that's how they're looking at it. I, I think what you're seeing here is two guys, yes, competing for a position, but working on different things that they both need to improve on. The truth is they both have things that they do well, and they both have things that they don't do well. Early on, what did you hear? Teddy Bridgewater was better at checking down and, and finding the open receiver, and then Drew Locke has bigger spa- splash plays and is hitting guys downfield after kind of a rough day. Uh, Drew Locke is is sort of typical Drew Locke, in my opinion. Struggles early and then kind of comes on at the end. We've experienced that throughout his career in Denver where – uh, he struggles early on in the season, and then they come on in the end. That, those kinds of things. Whereas Teddy Bridgewater is sort of steady Teddy. Uh, and, yeah, I think he had a bad day yesterday. Uh, today is is obviously uh, the first day in pads. So this is the Tuesday uh, practice where they were in pads that we're sort of – that's where we're ending off on. Um, but it's, it is interesting to watch this get scored, but also to say this guy won or that guy won. I don't see it as as win or a loss. I see it more as – this is what they're working on. This is what they need to improve. And the guy who improves the most on the things that he struggles the most with is the guy who's going to start for this offense. Pat Shermer actually even talked about how different it is this year as compared to last year because of the amount of time they're having to prepare. And a second season with the offensive coordinator, I think Drew Locke is going to benefit from that. And I think by the end of this, you're going to see two guys that are capable of and the coaches are going to have a difficult decision to make who can be the starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos, who's going to give them the best chance at winning. I think what's interesting about each day is I, it's the cliche that every coach throws out, but you want to get better each day. And I, I think that's the goal of each quarterback. They're not basing it on how well they did as soon as the day is over, good or bad. They just want to improve the next day they step on the field. And I think that's what you want from a, from both quarterbacks. I think that's what you want from any player on the on the field, regardless of if it's Vaughn Miller or if it's a rookie who was undrafted. I think that's the kind of mindset that you want for your football team throughout the course of training camp, throughout the course of preseason, but also in the regular season. Do you get better each day? Because we had the experience of, of watching Peyton Manning and – the work is done on the practice field, even during the regular season. It's not how well you play on Sunday. You have to be in a position to set yourself up to play well on Sunday. And again, that's cliche. We were both former athletes. That's what we had coaches tell us. And as we've gotten older, we see it. The teams that prepare on the practice field and in the classroom throughout the course of the week, those are the teams that set themselves up for success on Sundays. Absolutely. And this is the ultimate uh, preparation. These are the practices that are going to matter because they're practices back to back to back to back to back. They are an opportunity to focus on uh, specific things that need to be improved upon, an opportunity to get in sync with your teammates. And 
for these two quarterbacks, let's face it, we are going into a season with the Denver Broncos that is very much like the last four or five seasons. There's there's no reason to sugarcoat that. The quarterback situation is not good. And I'm not saying that to be negative here. And I'm not, you know, I'm not moaning, Ian. I'm not moaning. But I am I am pointing out that it is the same situation as it has been, and nothing has changed except for a little bit of continuity with Drew Locke. Now, I'm not saying that that puts him ahead or behind, but I think it gives the team a sense of continuity that they haven't really had a chance to um, enjoy. Uh, It also sort of gives Teddy Bridgewater a target. And so whoever comes out on top, it will be because the two of them have worked their way to a position where one of them is going to eventually have to beat the other one. I know I just said there are no winners and losers. There will be eventually. I just don't think there are any right now. That's that's the whole point of that. So it, it's, yeah, it's it, it's a little bit of a different feel at camp, and it's partly because you do have that continuity with offensive coordinator, quarterback, even though the quarterback might not be the starting point. It's, it just changes the tenor of, of the situation at camp, and that's why this is so important. And that's why this period is going to be something that, that everybody's just going to pay attention to moving forward. There's also some developments that have started to pop up through the first week. And I think one of them is the multiple Broncos reporters saying that this team is going to be able to run the ball offensively. Now, I find that I'm going to be a, a skeptic on that because pads I mean it's great that a lot of people think they're going to be able to run the football but how can you tell when they haven't been in pads I mean the offensive line okay I mean that this really isn't the time for offensive and defensive lines to put in their work that's going to come in the preseason when they actually face different opponents and I when they get the scrimmages with the Vikings I think that'll be a really good indication on whether or not this team is going to be able to run the football. So I'm a skeptic on that. I hope it's the case because if the Broncos are able to, to run the football with these kind of weapons that we've all talked about over the course of the offseason with Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick and Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler and Noah Fant and Albert Aguegunam, now Javante Williams with Melvin Gordon in the backfield, if they can run the football, that will set up the whole offense because – I mean, it just goes without saying. But if they are able to run the football, and this is going to be a run-heavy offense, Scotty has said this, and he's taken care of the, the daily reports from Mile High Report for training camp. He has said that that would probably push the quarterback competition to Teddy Bridgewater because that's more of a game manager role if you're expected to be a run-heavy offense and you just want a game manager who takes care of the football. So I actually like your point on that, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go counter to that a little bit. And I don't have a horse in this race. I've I've said several times I don't care who wins this battle. Uh, I just want the the guy who is gonna give the team the best opportunity to be the guy who starts. That would that would be my preference. I think it would be everybody's preference. Um, I kind of see it differently from Scotty on that. And and far be it for me to disagree with Scotty because you know he'll he'll come after me and make me feel bad about myself because he'll make fun of me, but. I sort of see the ability to run the football, opening the offense up in a way that is kind of an old school way that teams used to do it. It used to be that you ran to set up the pass, and you see more more nowadays because of the way the uh, NFL 
adjudicates penalties, that it's more pass to set up the run. And I think the Broncos have tried to do that recently, but it just doesn't work. If you can run the ball well, that not only sets up the passing game, it sets up the deep passing game. It sets up those splash plays that we've talked about. And the splash plays are Drew Locke's sort of forte, if you will. Uh, the splash plays are the ones that are going to be uh, the the plays that Drew Locke will make on a, on a deep pass to Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy. Those are the kinds of things that he's going to bring to the table. So if Javante Williams and, and Melvin Gordon can be uh, that one-two punch that we have really been hoping for. And I, and I don't want to get into the, well, they had it with Philip Lindsay or whatever. Like I think I saw Terrell Davis uh, had an, an interview where he was discussing Philip Lindsay and said he couldn't understand why the Broncos didn't want him back. I'm just going to move on. I don't really care about that, but if they can get a one, two punch from Melvin Gordon and have that solid running game, that actually makes drew locks life easier because one of the things that he does really well, or at least one of the things that is better for him is throwing from a play action, right? Uh, he's more accurate. Uh, he seems to be in rhythm more. I feel like play action is something that kind of sets him up. And if you can run the football, then play action becomes even more effective, and that makes him a more effective quarterback. So to to the point that Scotty was making, while I don't disagree that uh, running the football leads to more of a game management style, if that's how you want to want to go with it, Okay, but it also sets up opportunities for big plays down the field, which to me is an indicator of uh, Drew Locke maybe being the one who's going to benefit more from that. Whereas I think Teddy Bridgewater is the guy that if you can't run the football, you need him to be capable of hitting those dinks and dunks and and managing the team and managing the offense in a way that, that Drew Locke just hasn't been able to do. I think the key in all of this is what keeps the Denver defense off the field. Because they, they haven't been able to play with a lead. And that's what you want when you have Von Miller and this kind of pass rush is to play with a lead. Whoever gives you the best chance to lead, whoever gives you the best chance to win games is going to be the quarterback who is the starter for the Denver Broncos. And Vic Fangio all but said as much. So regardless of the scoring system and who is scoring the winners and the tally at the end of each practice and at the end of training camp, Whoever Vic Fangio and this coaching staff thinks gives the Broncos the best chance to win is going to be the starting quarterback of the Broncos. And the one thing about having a running offense, if it's run heavy, it's going to keep the Broncos' defense off the field. And Teddy Bridgewater, and why I think I tend to think and agree with with Scotty, is... Teddy Bridgewater is less inclined to turn the ball over. Now, hopefully Drew Locke not doing it over the course of training camp the first week, that will continue and that will play out in, into the into the preseason games and then into the regular season. But it, it, it's fascinating if this team is going to be a run-heavy offense, how that changes who Vic Fangio and Pat Shermer may go with with their starting quarterback. Yeah, every little every little thing is going to have some sort of, you know, every every little thing is going to have some sort of ripple effect, and it's going to impact the team uh, all over the place. And I do think your point about the offensive line, I wanted to just circle back a little bit. I think you're not wrong to be skeptical on that. Although I am maybe less skeptical than you are because I do see good things for this offensive line. You, you've still got Mike Munchak as as the uh, offensive line coach, 
And, and I, I see big things for the offensive line moving forward. I said that last week. I haven't changed my mind on that. That being said, if that is the case, though, if that if that is the case, does that give you worries about the Broncos' defensive line? No, not necessarily. In fact, the defensive line to me is is another one of those strengths. So I was just going to say we should probably look at the defense a little bit. I actually see this defensive line as as potentially being a strength of the defense because you have Shelby Harris and you have. Uh, you know, what looks like uh, McTelvin Aguim coming coming on. You've got Draymond Jones going into his third year looking like a, a stud. I think somebody who has benefited from being in the league for as long as he has now, right? He's got some, some years under his belt. And being in a Vic Fangio system, learning from one of the best defensive coaches in the league, I, I think that's a, that's a huge plus. Uh, Mike Purcell, you had some questions there with injuries. I know that, that that's kind of been, uh, one of the issues with him, but, but potentially he's a, he's another guy who am I missing? Cause I feel like the rotation there is, is, is one that is solid. And so because I am, I am high on the defensive line, that also makes me feel like the offensive line is going to be working against a difficult defensive line on a day in and day out basis. That's going to make them better as well. So I don't know who I'm missing in the rotation, but it's got to be somebody. The one concern I have is Mike Purcell got dinged already. And he had to, I can't remember if he, I don't think he was carted off the field, but he limped off the field. I, that's a little bit of a concern because there's not a lot of depth along the defensive line. So we'll see what happens. I, I, I do think that the, the Broncos defense is, is obviously the strength of this team. And it's going to be the strength of this team. And I think the one development that's not surprising is just how good Pat Sertan the second is. And the fact that he really is dominating training camp. It's a, it, it ends up being like a one of those things where as fans, we were all sort of hoping for that quarterback of the future with that pick. Uh, if it wasn't going to be Aaron Rodgers, and again, I'm not, I'm not moaning about Aaron Rodgers here. I'm just, I'm sort of pointing out the fact that it wasn't Aaron Rodgers, and then it also wasn't the quarterback of the future. That's going to be something that hangs over Sertan's head for his entire career. There's, there's no way for him to get away from the fact that the Denver Broncos picked him over a potential uh, quarterback of the future. And I, I, I've talked about how um, I think that makes th- this particular pick not as good even though I believe that Sertan's going to be a, 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 a top cornerback in the league. So him having a good camp, him looking like a stud already, him making a good impression on his teammates, that's one of those things that makes you more comfortable with a pick that maybe you weren't as comfortable with after the draft. And I can fully admit that I was not as comfortable with that draft pick when it ended up being that it wasn't Aaron Rodgers to the Broncos. So now I'm wondering why they didn't take a quarterback. But as he as he plays, and as the news comes out that he's one of those guys that is clearly let's let's go back to the the analogy of winning. He's he seems to be winning every day. That's a that's a big deal. That is a good thing. That is something that makes me a little more comfortable with that pick. And he is going to, like I said, always play with that sort of. Should it have been a quarterback instead of Pat Sertain, uh, you know, Pat Sertain the second? Maybe it should have. So maybe that's a chip on his shoulder that he will play with and he will always sort of have that ability to, to sort of, I don't know, just be a great cornerback because it sounds like he is. And it also sounds like 
the cornerback situation in Denver is stacked. Not just not just PS2, but you've got uh, you know you've got Bryce Callahan looking like he's healthy. You've got Ronald Darby, who they just gave money to. Kyle Fuller, who is a veteran who's played in in Fangio's system. You've got solid defensive backs like I mean, and you know, of course, Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson as well. So that's a strength of this team, and, and PS2 in with that group means that he's going to be playing with good players and he might be one of the best of that group already which means he's only going to get better and by the time he's done he might be one of the best we've ever seen look at me making a uh, you know sort of a prognostication about where ps2's career could go the other development is that jerry judy has apparently looked like wide receiver one for the offense yeah how did we say it the only the only guy that has given ps2 any problems is jerry judy so, yeah. so there you go. I got, I got that right. And that's a positive development given how good Sertan has looked, as we just said. Yeah, and, and again, you kind of go back to these units. The, the, the defensive back unit looks like a stud unit. And on the other side, the wide receiver unit also looks like a stud unit. And you, you brought them up, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, K.J. Hamler, and then throw in the tight ends with Noah Fanton and Albert O. There's there is talent on both sides of the football and not just a little bit. There is a lot of talent. There is a lot of potential. And I, I'm I, I'm going to say this to you right now. And I was really trying hard not to admit to it. I'm kind of getting excited about Broncos football. And maybe it's just because we haven't had football in so long. Maybe it's because they were so bad last year. I can't imagine they'll be any worse this year. But I'm kind of getting getting excited and and starting to feel like a fan, you know, I'm like getting a little giddy. I know I am a fan, but you know what I'm saying? I'm getting a little giddy about it when uh, I told myself I wouldn't do that. The other thing that is a positive and we've touched on the offensive line is according to Andrew Mason, who said this last week, and I wrote about it for horse tracks on Sunday is Lloyd Cushenberry looks to be much improved. And for all the talk that there could be a possible battle for the starting center spot with uh, Quinn Meniers, Andrew Mason says that there isn't a competition. Cush is the guy. And Fangio actually touched on this on Monday after practice. And if, if that's the case, that's huge for the Broncos because that was one of the biggest question marks, at least offensively and at the offensive line, was center. With would Luke Cushenberry be able to take the next step after a tough rookie season? Yeah, because he did struggle in his rookie year, and we talked a lot last year about uh, him as a draft pick. And and you you and I both were very high. You were you were higher than I was on on Cush, but where he was picked and the fact that they got him with a third round selection when he probably graded out as as a low first round, high second round pick, it was the steal of the draft. But then it just didn't. It didn't play out in 2020 like most of us had expected it to. We tend to forget, as um, you know, people who watch the game, that a, a kid that's drafted is still a kid and is still coming into a, a situation where the game is a lot faster. The players that you play against are always better than they were when you were playing at LSU or when you were playing at wherever. Right. And so the adjustment to the game itself takes a little while. Uh, that's, that's why some people might say maybe we should temper our excitement about uh, Patrick Sertain. I 
Sure. If you want to, you know, Patrick Sertan and your, and your excitement, temper it if you want to. I, I don't know. But Cushenberry is a good example of he was supposed to be a stud. He wasn't really a stud, but maybe he just needed a year to get himself acclimated, and now he's going to be a stud. It takes a while. Uh, look at Garrett Bowles, for example, a guy who uh, I just keep a little cup of crow near me at all times so that when I have to talk about him, I eat a little crow first about how wrong I was, and then I – mentioned Garrett Bowles, but uh, he's a guy who needed a little a little time uh, to adjust to the NFL. He adjusted, and he's doing just fine for himself from what we can tell, and I, I think that's something you'll see with, with Cushenberry as well. He's, he's a guy who's going to adjust uh, because he is a supreme athlete and, and one of those guys that was one of the best at his positions in college. It's going to be the same when he gets you know sort of up to speed in the NFL. So as we get into the basically the one-week anniversary of the start of training camp, I, I'm curious to see how these developments over the next week and then heading into the first preseason game and then the joint practices with the Minnesota Vikings, I'm curious to see what happens. Like, like do these trends continue? Do they build on them? Are there any concerns that – pop up over the course of the week. And, and that's one thing that's kind of disappointing in this is that for all the talk of the quarterback competition and, and the guys that are doing well, I don't really get a sense of, well, what are they not doing well? And I go back to when I was a writer early in my career and I had, I had editors when I did feature stories say, this is a great story, but you're just focusing on all the good and all the positive. Where's the struggle? And that's what I think that's what's missing from the story of Broncos training camp for the first week. Where's the struggle? Because you you said that you're getting hyped. Well, I'm being a skeptic still. And I, it's fascinating that the roles are reversed because you're usually the skeptic and I'm usually full bore. Like we're getting Aaron Rodgers and uh, the the sky is blue. And, and, and I'm not and I'm not trying to to disparage any of that. I, I totally get the hype. I, I'm getting excited. I want to see what this offense looks like, especially if it's able to run the football as well as people say that they will be able to. But where's the struggle? What are the things that they're not doing well? That's a good point because I think that when you write a good story and if you think about like the hero hero's journey archetype, uh, there's got to be a struggle. There has to be a, a something to overcome so that when you do cross that threshold that you there is a there is sort of a growth that, that comes from that. And I, I do feel like what we will see uh, just to kind of go with this sort of theme here, I do think we will see some struggles. Uh, I don't believe it's all candy canes and rainbows and unicorns and whatnot. I think there's going to be some issues. But the idea, I think, that the hype that I'm feeling is more about my sense that they are going to be able to overcome some of those struggles, some of the things that they have been struggling with, because the struggle has been going on since post-Super Bowl, right? Since post-Super Bowl 50, it's the struggle has been real in Broncos country. And so... To me, it at least from the fans' perspective, it's all been a struggle. And now you're starting to see perhaps uh, that the building that's been going on over the last two or three seasons, and I, I do think it's just the last two or three seasons in particular, are potentially going to pay off. 
they're potentially going to work. And I know that it seems silly because we're talking about a, a division with the Kansas City Chiefs and uh, even the the Los Angeles Chargers, if I have to you know, mention. I, it is Charger season, so we do have to talk about them being good uh, for at least another couple of weeks. But it, there's competition in the AFC and especially in the AFC West, and so it makes you temper your excitement. But even then, I see that the struggle is leading to something. Will it be a, a win against Kansas City for the first time since that 2015 season? I hope so. I don't know that I see that in the future, but I hope so. Uh, but but there is a struggle there. I just don't think it's been shown to us yet. We'll see it. Like you said, we'll see it when they practice with Minnesota. We'll see it in the first preseason, second preseason, uh, and third preseason games. My hope is they don't rumble like the Giants did. Uh, that was a crazy story. No No fighting. Right, we we all we're all on the same team. We all love each other. No no royal rumbles during football practice, but uh, I, I do think that uh, there's there's a, a sense of positivity around this camp that even I was skeptical about last. What was it? A couple you know a couple days ago, I tweeted about how let's all chill out, and now here I am, super hyped and having a great time. And to give the listeners an idea of how long this struggle has been. Peyton Manning is going to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame on Sunday when he joins the other class of 2021, including John Lynch. That's how long the struggle has been. So maybe I'm scarred and I need to see it first, but that's part of the reason that I'm a skeptic is because this is five years of this. So I'm into the point where I've gotten hyped before. I was fooled. I'm not doing it again. (laughs) understandable right understandable but I do think it's okay for you to be hyped about this weekend and you just brought it up and I think it's something that is an exciting thing for Broncos fans to talk about right Broncos country has kind of been waiting for this weekend Um, if you've if you've been a fan of the Denver Broncos for a long time like we have right Uh, we're we're part of the 40-year club now Um, you crazy I know right just nuts but you you know that Maybe one of the most deserving Denver Broncos who hadn't been inducted into the Hall of Fame is going to be going into the Hall of Fame this weekend, and that's Steve Atwater. Steve Atwater um, was nominated to the 2020 class, the the centennial class, uh, for the Hall of Fame. And, and he's going to be inducted on Saturday. Exactly. He will be inducted on Saturday the 7th. So that is the, the thing that the Hall of Fame is doing, and I kind of like that they're doing it this way. It's a bummer that – the class of 2020 right the centennial class didn't get their own year but i think they're making it work you get two celebrations in the same weekend you get the saturday celebration for the centennial class and then you get the sunday celebration for the class of 2021 and as bronco fans we get to be uh excited because three great denver broncos steve atwater john lynch and peyton manning are all being inducted over the course of the weekend and it's been a nice run. We, we always have joked about how the, the Hall of Fame isn't uh, for Denver Broncos. Uh, it's still not a complete Hall of Fame, blah, 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 blah. And, yes, I still have some gripes about things like Randy Gratishar not being in. Uh, you, you can talk about Tombstone Jackson deserving a spot. But I don't want to make that what this Louis is Wright. about. Louis Wright. Louis Wright, absolutely. Uh, I don't, I don't want to make that this. This is an exciting time for Bronco fans because, first of all, all around great guy Steve Atwater is going to be inducted on Saturday. I guarantee I will be glued to my television for that. Uh, wish I could have made the trip; just wasn't in the cards this year. Um, and then the next night we get to watch John Lynch and Peyton Manning be inducted as well. So fun, right? A fun weekend for Bronco fans. 
and something that's well-deserved by all of those guys. And I will also say, just to kind of give us a chance to say this, I've softened my stance on John Lynch. Um, I've had people talk to me about the things that he did in the community when he he was in Denver and why he was such a great Bronco. And uh, I love your story about how when John Lynch came into the league, he was handed a tape of Steve Atwater by his coaches at the time, uh, Tony Dungy. And said, watch this and tape Herm and, and, and Herm Edwards. And they said, watch this tape of Steve Atwater. And that's what he did. So uh, the the world is round and the circle is so, somewhat complete. If you think about it, when you, when you think about that particular setup and then the goat, right? Peyton Manning getting what he deserves. And that is enshrinement in the hall of fame. What else can you say? PFM definitely deserves it. I know Colts fans love to say he's an Indianapolis Colt. Yeah, he is, but he lives in Denver y'all. So and he retired a Bronco. That's you know what that's an interesting debate. Would he wear a Colts hat? Like you know how in no. Major League Baseball in the Hall of Fame you wear the hat of the team that you most represent. Like I remember when Gary Carter went into the Hall of Fame as a catcher, the debate was is he going to go in as an Expo or is he going to go in as a Met? And I believe Gary Carter ended up going in as an Expo, and so he's wearing an Expos hat uh, in his on his plaque. And that was kind of the big deal. We don't really do that in the NFL because they don't have hats on. They're just it's just a bust of their head and their face and whatnot. But would Peyton Manning wear a Denver Broncos hat or would he wear an Indianapolis Colts hat if they did it like that? that that's, a, that's a fascinating question because how would he feel about being released by the Colts? Like they did not believe in him. They obviously because they drafted Andrew Luck and he came to Denver. And they gave him second life. So would he view that second life more than his first? Uh, that's an interesting question. And I don't think he would answer the question, to be honest. I because I, I, I think he would he would say, I don't have to. I, I, maybe he would he'd give his typical wry sense of humor, like it's a good thing I don't have to pick a hat because my head doesn't look good in one. But do they have hats that cover that size forehead, that kind of thing? I'm with you on that. We'll ever know. But I, all I know is, is that he retired a Bronco. And the other positive development from Steve Atwater's induction ceremony is that it's going to give a guy who I don't think gets enough credit for just how great he was. And that's the guy who Dennis Smith credits for how good he became in the NFL is Dennis Smith. Dennis Smith, I, 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 don't, I, I, just, I don't think he gets credit nationally for how good he was. He played with Ronnie Lott. He played with Steve Atwater. Both of those guys will tell you, Dennis Smith was probably better than me. Well, we That's had, how good Dennis Smith was. Absolutely. When, when we had Steve on the show, and uh, he talked about what Dennis Smith meant to him, and this was obviously this was prior to him being inducted uh, or uh, you know making it into the Hall of Fame, but he talked about how Dennis Smith was the guy who taught him how to be a professional in the NFL. Dennis Smith was the guy that taught him what it meant to be uh, a safety at the pro level. And you're right. Dennis Smith played with Ronnie Lott. Dennis, Dennis Smith played with Steve Atwater. Dennis Smith is almost like a kingmaker if you think about it. And uh, the deference that Steve has for Dennis, right? The fact that he sees him as as that important, it is going to give him a chance to shine a little bit and to shine the light on on a, a character in the NFL who, you're correct, does not get the the correct amount of credit for what he was, especially for the Denver Broncos, thinking about who those Denver Broncos were for so long. 
Dennis Smith was a big part of that. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, again, we could go make a list of Broncos who have been passed over, but this is about Steve. This is about uh, John Lynch. This is about Peyton Manning. That's, that's what this is about. And then the other fascinating thing to come out of um, the hall of fame, you mentioned Raddy Gratishar. What is interesting to me is Jeff Legwald, who we've, everyone knows is the, the presenter for Denver at, on the pro football hall of fame selection committee. He had a story last week about Randy Gratishar, and it talked about his need to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. If you haven't read it, check it out. It, it's a very good story. I'm, I'm bringing it up right now because I didn't think we were going to get to this, but the fact that you mentioned Gratishar led me to think about that. And the fact that Jeff Legwald is now writing about this, I think we felt like the tide is starting to shift for Gratishar. And let's just focus on this for the fact that there is not a member of the orange crush defense in Canton. One of the greatest defenses in the history of the NFL. When you talk about, uh, you know, NFL network does their top 10 uh, defenses of all time. Uh, You know, they have those top 10 shows. The orange crush is on there and they're not 10. They're like, they're like the sixth or seventh defense on there, which is, I think a little low to be honest. And, not a single guy, not a single guy from that defense, Louis Wright, Randy Gratishar, Lyle Alzado, Tom Jackson, not one of them, not one of them is is Hall of Fame worthy. That just boggles my – even the no-name defense has guys in, in the Hall of Fame. And the thing that is often mentioned about Gratishar is his tackle. And Jeff Legwald touches on this. Some have questioned Gratishar's double-take-worthy tackle totals. He was credited with 2,049 during his 10-year career, given the fact tackles are not an official statistic and have been routinely dismissed given they are handed out with irregular reliability league-wide based on each team's statistics crew. But former Broncos assistant coach Stan Jones, a Hall of Famer as a player with the Chicago Bears, said five years before his death in 2010, quote, I will swear on a stack of Bibles those numbers are correct. I charted those numbers, and there was too much pride, too much talent in that group for those numbers not to be real. Randy made every single one of those tackles. He adds, Legwald that is, in his story, the late Merlin Olson, a Hall of Famer, once said he never saw a player make more unassisted stops than Gratishar and Mike Giddings whom NFL teams have used for decades to evaluate their players, has said his review shows Gratishar was rated as a blue player, Giddings' highest ranking in eight of his ten seasons. Giddings also said in a selection of more than 20 Broncos games he reviewed over multiple seasons, Gratishar averaged just more than 16 tackles per game, a total of more than 2,300 if taken over Gratishar's 10-year career, despite a, a strike year in 1982. That's a lot of tackles. I think that dunks on anyone who said it's not possible that a guy who played for the Denver Broncos in a cow town that didn't have running electricity, didn't have indoor plumbing or paved streets, had a guy who could create 
and play defense that way. It dunks on all of them and highlights why it's so criminal he's not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos.